secondly, I think, yes, that what we were saying, B2B, is actually a much more intimate type of marketing than any other industry or sector that I've been in before. It really is about talking person to person, developing these relationships, saying things like, I, don't, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you unless I really thought I could help you. You know, otherwise, no sweat. Like, it's just saying that kind of thing. It's about a mutual relationship. Whereas, like, you know, in e commerce space, it really is like, hey, there's a promotion. <laughs> and welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. Today's guest is a very interesting guest, um, and I discovered her on Twitter because she made a page about how to build a Google Data Studio report for email marketing. So that was very helpful, and um, and I found her because she's hilarious, and we'll have a great time filming this, I'm sure. So please welcome Naj uh, Salam. Hey, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> All right, thank God, thank God. Yeah, I, I, I got stuck there. because yeah, it says Naj, right? But it's really Naj Mom, right? Yeah, it's Naj Mom, but I always say to people, just call me Naj, because like, the only people who call me Naj are the people who tell me I'm in trouble, and my parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does it mean? I mean, like, for people, yeah, obviously, you know, most Westerners don't know the name Najma, and like, so what is the name Najma anyway? Oh, so it's Arabic, and it means star. Um, Star. Okay. Yeah. So my sisters are Dura and Wada, who are Jewel and Rose, respectively, as well. So yeah, my dad got that all planned out. <laughs> <laughs> That's popular, you know, like in our families, they're like bottles bodies of water or different mm-hmm. mountains or you know. Yeah. yeah. So all right, cool. Thanks for informing us all. All right, well, let's jump in. Yeah. So tell us about who are you? Where do you come from? And then how do you end up? What's the journey to this moment? Go. Oh my gosh, yes. So I am the current head of marketing over at Filtered. But in terms of who I am, I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What I mean is like I started my career off in design. I've been in marketing for over a decade now, but I've been really lucky in that I've been able to hop from industry to industry. And how I got to this moment is... About ooh, eight years ago, I was working for the first job I had in the UK, which was an online gift company. And part of that, my responsibilities on that job was um, sending out a weekly email. And I was hooked. I loved it. I loved being able to send email and then like, be able to see like revenue come back and then tweet this here, do that there. And like ever since then, I've just been in love with email. So yeah, so that's, that's why I got here, I guess, talking about um, email marketing. But yeah, it's, I'd love to delve into any of that. So thanks for that answer. And um, yeah, when you started as like a YouTube star in a sense. I mean, like no other email geek for sure has two, email, two videos with over 100,000 views on YouTube. So. Tell us, like, how did that start? Where did that take you? And then, yeah. did that have to do with what we're, where we are now? Yeah, well, surprisingly, yeah, it kind of does, actually. Um, so I have a YouTube channel where I, um, I'm i a self-taught ukulele player and I sing. And I make these, um, like, you know, videos of um, covers that I would make. And, yeah, they got featured. Like, a, a few of my videos got featured somewhere. Something like Boing Boing or something. And, um 
and uh, people just got to know them like viral nature because I have no idea how that happened. But um, it's surprising because that's become such a big part of my life. Like, as you know, I performed some bits and pieces for Inbox Expos. I've served as ukulele covers for conferences, you know, just because. But I think, like, music is a big part of my life. Like, I generally just, like, you know, it, it helps me zone out. It helps me just kind of get out of my head a little bit. And honestly, like, a ukulele is a very portable instrument. So if you want to, like, you know, have an ice maker, just bring a ukulele with you everywhere. <laughs> and I'd say you just started to tell people and then just, like, you know, decided to jump on YouTube and play a song. And that was, like, how that happened. Yeah, it was, like, um, it's... it's it was just the sort of random nature of YouTube back in the day. I think this was like, you know, ages and ages ago. But I feel like back then, the monetization of YouTube hadn't really happened. So I feel like that there was a lot of really strange, interesting, random content at the time. And yeah, I, I believe it was my cover of Poker Face by Lady Gaga. So if you want to ever want to say here, you can cover of that. Yeah, it's it's up there. But yeah, that's that's pretty much in terms of like what, what that felt like people actually know me from different places um because i've been chronically online <laughs> for <laughs> i don't know how long but some people know me through my um, youtube videos and then they're like wait you're like you have like a real job as like a wife and i'm like yeah <laughs> what um and then sometimes people will find out you know will get to know me through like one of my um public speaking spots or you know or or what have you and they're like Wait, you play like ukulele videos? That's really random. So it's like those two worlds sometimes coincide. Right. I mean, that was so shocking. I think you know, Inbox Expo. I mean, that's I, that's also yeah. Where like, what the hell is going on in there? You know, there's someone playing ukulele. It's like surprise. You know, you just got talent. Well, who's playing got like you know the good buzzer? Right, that was so out of the box, you know? Oh, gosh. Are we still live? Oh, you see the lights keep going on? Yeah. Yes, I mentioned it's raining here. Um, Yeah, so I hope we don't lose power. (laughs) It'll take a little while to come back. But um, yeah, just talk to the walls until I get back. (laughs) Maybe I can work out my ukulele and just look up this in the meantime. Right, just pull out your ukulele. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When in doubt, pull out your ukulele. All right. Awesome. Do you still create content like for YouTube? Are you still like you met it? Like, is it, you know, something you're conscious of that like you want to put up a video every once in a bit? Yeah, yeah, I do. So like I try, it's obviously nowhere near as, <laughs> nowhere near as much as I used to, but I'm like trying to do, you know, a few every once in a while, but I try to like ha- put more time into them. So, you know, there's more editing. I don't know, like one of the most recent videos I've done, like I appear like randomly in like a unicorn, like onesie, like in the background or something. And like try to lay in all the instruments. I have like um, a collection of like classroom instruments. So I have like stylophone and I have like a little mini glockers and stuff. And I try to play all of these instruments and layer it all together. So yeah, it is definitely something I, I, I do. Mostly because um, so my dad bought me the ukulele way back when so I mainly made videos because I was in Australia at the time my family's all in Singapore and I was making those videos that I could like send it to them and they'd just like be able to enjoy it <laughs> that's hilarious it's sort of like the way um you know Khan Academy was like making videos for his nephews mm-hmm. 
like to teach that math and then like he got like a million views he's like oh (laughs) (laughs) oh apparently yeah more people actually like this yeah yeah i think i think that's why like if you look at some of the older videos they're just so random they're just me in my bedroom alone it's just for my family and friends to laugh at um but yeah (laughs) right that's cool stuff all right, so turning to uh, the inbox. So what are the kinds of emails that you find, or what are the things that you you know, find upsetting in your inbox? Oh, man. So one of the things that they don't tell you about kind of going up the ladder is that you tend to get more spammy emails. When I say spammy, I mean, you know, like cold emails from people. And I get it. It's, it's part of the ecosystem now. But one of the most upsetting things is like when it's not, personalized in any way there's obviously no effort made to even relate your solution to a problem that you think i might have and i get it sometimes the research can only take you so far but even then it's like oh let me take a guess (laughs) you know it's not even that i think like i got a cold email the other day was just like it looks like you're doing some good marketing over at filtered but it's like what (laughs) you know know, it's kind of like yeah i mean it's a bit like i bet you say that to all the girls (laughs) but you know it's just there's the lack of um research and personalization i think um but again i feel like some sdrs might you know have to meet quotas and i think sometimes you know there's a batch and blast kind of tactic that people have to have to make but i think the fault is entirely with the strategy there because you know i think especially in the b2b space it really is about those personal relationships and trying to open those conversations the other thing i find upsetting in my inbox is like brands that really love and their emails are just like not at the level (laughs) of the brand and so i'm so i'm not going to call call out names but it's something like you know like all image um very Uh. inaccessible emails for example or even it's even like things like oh your call to action isn't like clear enough for people to want to click through and these are brands i'm like really rooting for like i want them to like stay alive (laughs) and stay (laughs) there for the long run and so yeah it does it does not maybe like two things right especially you call that accessibility just because, like, I feel like we're having a conversation with ourselves about accessibility. Like, like, there's so many emails going out that are just pure images. Um, yeah. And I think, I don't know who to blame, you know, but, like, I mean, like, I worked for a big American company. Like, mm-hmm. top five, top 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were, like, annoyed with me because I wasn't, like, using their right, you know, I wanted live text. And I wanted, yeah. you know, like, but does it match? You know, and I, I'm sure, like, other people be like... You know, like, they always use an image. Like, it has to be yeah. an image because we need that fun. And I was like... No. You know, <laughs> right. Right. And then, and then the other way, like, you have all these, like, e-com agencies that are just trying to serve as many brands as possible. And they're just, you know, said design to email, design to email, design to email. Like, there's no, like, you know, yeah. transfer of it. It's like, there's design equals email. It's chopped That's really surprising. It's email. Yeah. It's, it's so surprising when that happens because... Yes, like it can be the same font, but no one's going to be able to read it. You right. know, um, <laughs> it, it's really, and also it's like a lot of times when people design with all image emails, they're designing on the desktop. And so what happens is the, the, the font gets shrunk down massively on a mobile. And so, yeah, like non-mobile friendly emails as well, you know, it's like, it's, it's 
2023, like, I feel like everyone is, you know, con- like always on their mobile now. So it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't have a mobile first design. I think there's very few companies that can really get away with not having a mobile first design like, if their solution is strictly like desktop only for whatever reason or, or something like that. But even so, I think, you know, if you're trying to um, nurture people or inform them about your solution or your product, you want to start mobile first, right? For sure, for sure. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, like also what you're saying, like how, like, there are brands that are using the same templates they used in like 2007. You yes. know, like, it's yeah. working, you know, but like, yes. it's not working. I can't find no. anything. It's, yeah, I should talk to them. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's recap to them together. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's celebrate the wins. Tell us oh, about yes. your biggest wins. You know, you've been doing email. You know, you didn't go through it yourself, but I can say you work in the econ. Well, you mentioned the gifting company. Yes. That's where it all started. And then you worked for a nonprofit for three years. Yeah. A big, a big nonprofit in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, I, and, I, and I do B2B. So yeah. maybe take a little <laughs> bit of like your biggest moments from each of those experiences. Yeah, sure. So yeah, absolutely. There's like a different win for each role, I feel like. So the first time that I fell in love with email was at the um, personalized gifting company called The Left Room. And I think the biggest win was being able to send an email at that first time. I get um, around Black Friday, getting those, that juicy, juicy <laughs> revenue in, you know, and I feel like I could, I feel like it like changed my brain chemistry for some reason. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's maybe like my first one, like the first Black Friday we had and like sending a really effective email and seeing, you know, seeing us like reap those rewards, basically. The company that I worked at after that was an archaeological travel company. And my biggest win from that was that in, I forgot the span of time, but we pretty much brought in like something like something crazy, like 500,000 pounds worth of um, revenue through email that we could attribute to email. And that just showed like how effective email was for, for us as a company. And, and it, you know, this, so the clientele for that company was older generations you know, because it was quite a luxury travel and you know who has the money to do that and so I think there was a lot of trepidation around well people like you know direct mail when they're older or people you know there were a lot of assumptions like people want to do it through print but actually email was working really well because people were able to get sold in on the storytelling and the imagery and all of that so I think that was also the first time where I really understood like where assumptions are really not the way to go in my thing. You really need to let the data speak for itself. You just need to try and iterate. After that was the nonprofit. So I worked for Help for Heroes. I think one of the biggest wins was um, redesigning the template so that the donate button was in the top bit of the email. And that brought in loads of donations. You know, just that tiny little tweak. And that was a big win for me. That really showed me the power of optimizing and iterating your email templates. I remember presenting at a conference one time and somebody was just like, don't you care that nobody like scrolled through to the rest of your email? You've worked so hard on the email for people to like not scroll through and just click on the top to click donate. And I'm like, I don't care because if people are donating, I'm doing my job. You know, you could make the prettiest, most gorgeous email, and if you're not getting any donations, then what's the point of you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. If you're not doing a good job, like, yeah. you know, showing the value of your organization, no one's going to click that button anyway. So clearly you've done right things to get that button clicked. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, um, those are so that was a big win for me. And actually, you can see. Um, so I think probably like one of the biggest wins is every time I'm able to like submit an email and it gets shared on really good emails. <laughs> That's a big win for me. <laughs> I think lots of email teams can like <laughs> resonate with that. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's. I think I would say those are like the big email wins. Most recently. I've seen a lot of success, so I'm in B2B now. And before we were sending out, it's really easy to get straight into marketing mode, especially when you've been in it for a while. You just Your brain just goes into autopilot sometimes. And I was just like, all right, so we'll do it on corporate newsletter. We'll send something out weekly. And it just wasn't landing. And we changed format. So the emails were coming out from me, like with my name and my headshot at the bottom. And, you know, it was like in my tone, in my language, and it was very, you know, casual. Um, and we've seen a lot of um, success with that. The click-throughs are a lot better than, you know, hardly any unsubscribed. So I think, um, again, I feel like another lesson from that is that don't take for granted that B2B is all about boring corporate. I think people want to hear from other people. Right, no, that's, I mean, yeah, it's funny when people like ask, oh, do you ever done B2B? No, but I've done human to human. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's such, I love that. It's such a great way of putting it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So, yeah, like with all your experience uh, in marketing and email, what are the top five lessons that you've learned? Oh, where to begin? I feel like I learned something new every day as well. Um, so, yeah, I think um, assumptions, throw them out the window. Whatever you assume, just, they don't exist. Forget them. Because... Things have changed so quickly, even within the last six months with AI, just kind of like showing up in the um, consciousness of everyone, you know. Um, so as a marketer, no matter how experienced you are, you don't know anything. That That's how I approach every day. I just assume that I don't know anything and I'm going to, you know, like start fresh, you know, do a little bit of social learning because other people have tread the, that same path. Secondly, I think, yes, that what we were saying, B2B, is actually a much more intimate type of marketing than any other industry or sector that I've been in before. It really is about talking person to person, developing those relationships, saying things like, I, don't, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you unless I really thought I could help you. You know, otherwise, no sweat. Like, it's just saying that kind of thing. It's about a mutual relationship. Whereas, like, you know, in the e-commerce space, it really is like, hey, there's a promotion. <laughs> you know, we think you like it. And um, um, obviously, there's way more to it than that. But it's just, it's it's much less personal than what you need to do in B2B. Right. So no, it could be, I mean, it depends on the niche, I think. Like, yeah. particularly in your niche, you know, which is like a new niche, you know, where it's uh, something yeah. to do with education and development and... Yeah, learning and development. Yeah, especially yeah, especially that. Um, I think another lesson I would say is I think it's really easy to hop on top of trends, but as I've gone along in my career, I'm actually going back to like the core basics, foundations of things because because there's nothing new <laughs> under the sun really. So recently I picked up a book about rhetoric, the rhetoric. Um it's it's a it's an amazing book. It's called The Elements of Eloquence. And I was reading it and I was like, this is just literally everything we talk about in copywriting. And the ancient Greeks figured this out 
like millennia ago. What is everyone doing? <laughs> so I think it's I think it's really important that yes, it, um, you know, micro learning, learning in the flow of work, you know, um, picking up really useful tips from other people on LinkedIn or podcasts, what have you, is really important. But I think it's beneficial for marketers especially to go back to the basics, brush up on your foundation, brush up on your core, especially if you are self-taught marketer as well. Recently, I read this um, because I've been trying to improve my copywriting, my writing skills. I picked up uh, Ogilvy on marketing because I read it ages ago, but I just picked it up recently. And like just a lot of the stuff that he writes about in there is stuff that still applies today. Right, like everything's the same. Like they're really... Yeah. Yeah, you look at marketing examples. What, what's new is, you know, like a new way to get a lead or, you know, no social platforms. And But in terms of the way we write and things that we could offer, it's more yeah. or less the same. Yeah, yes, exactly. We're all, we're all in the business of educating and persuading. And if you can do those things well, then you're going to be pretty good no matter what channel or medium you're in, you know. Um, the other lesson, and one thing, one thing that's served me really well is my design experience. So I said I started off my career in design, so I did a lot of um, graphic design freelance, and I did packaging design at the beginning of my career. So I designed uh, packaging for, you know, makeup products and things like that. But that comes up surprisingly a lot in marketing. And actually, it's so useful if you can create your own collaterals as a marketer. So one thing I would say to any marketers is like have at least enough design experience so that you can kind of get what you're imagining in your head onto something tangible. Uh, because it's so hard, speaking as a designer on the other side of the table, it's really hard for people to just tell me what they're thinking about if I can't, if they don't know how to visualize it themselves. And so I think that would seriously streamline people's workflows if they can at least learn a little bit of design to, you know, kind of help them along in the process along. For sure, for sure. And also just like when you're stuck, like being someone in the... You know, it's not like you have to like call designer, but it's late at night. Like you could just go into Photoshop and make a little change or whatever. You know, like that's yeah. a tremendous lesson. Yeah, no, for sure. Because it's really, come up. Yeah. I mean, like one of the organizations I was working recently, the marketing director was a uh, was a designer. Turn, yeah, turn marketing director. Yeah, when I needed some collateral for emails, like okay, yeah, you can turn it around in a snap. It's it's so much easier for for everyone, especially you. And I'm a big fan of making things easy for myself. You know, I've worked in very small marketing teams, even one person marketing team, right? And you kind of have to learn how to do everything yourself. And like thinking back on my career, I think the ability to design has seriously helped me and my um, workflow. The other, the probably the last lesson I would say is automation has been, you know, a huge part of my marketing and email marketing life now. And again, I feel like that is the thing that people really need to try and get comfortable with in order to help themselves along in the same way that design does. So um, so you you kind of got tweaked on to me through my Google Data Studio dashboards um, tutorial, and that came out of being seriously under-resourced. You know, a lot of the, the ESP I was working with at the time just wasn't giving me the right amount of data. And so the problem there is I don't have enough time to be able to pull the data and do a good enough analysis of it because I'm spending all my time pulling the data. And so, <laughs> so 
creating the data studio dashboard board meant that I didn't have to spend all that time pulling the data because what I was doing was like, I don't know if you've done this before, but like, you know, when you take screenshots of the tables and then you have to like put them into a PowerPoint and then you have to write your silly little like thing like, here's the Delta and here's what we should stop doing, start doing. And actually, if you do it in the dashboard, you can jump on a conversation with a stakeholder and you guys can just talk through it all together. You know, so so learning how to solve problems with automation is really key for any marketer. And I don't mean that in terms of like just the, you know, like let's say you're using a, um, a CRM like HubSpot. Of course, you need to learn how to automate, but I'm thinking about like your general workflow in life. Like how can you make things so much easier for yourself? So things like that, like using Google Data Studio, now Looker Studio to um, make that part of your life a lot easier and faster. Right, right. And I'd love to know, you know, what if, yeah, my own flows and own things. Like, yeah, where can I, you know, make those kind of improvements? Because it was yeah. a huge help, that thing. Oh, glad. Yeah, that's awesome. Attention, e-commerce store owners. Are you tired of losing sales due to an ineffective abandoned cart email strategy? Abandoned cart expert can help. Our proven optimization strategies are guaranteed to help you recover more lost sales and boost your bottom line. Plus, with our no-pay guarantee, there's no risk. Don't let your lousy abandoned cart emails cost you more sales. Head to AbandonedCartExpert.com now to learn more and start turning more abandoned carts into purchases. All right, on the flip side of this is like, what are the mistakes that you keep seeing, especially from smaller teams or even big teams? Yeah, um, focus and clarity is so important. And actually this, so I don't um, kind of say resolutions to myself at the beginning of the year. What I tend to have is like keywords. And uh, yeah, one of the key keywords for me was clarity. And I think this is something that marketing teams really need to have. So. I'm sure you've seen these memes where like, oh, are you even a, a marketer if like people don't tell you like how to do marketing like every five seconds or something like something like that. But it's true, everyone has a well-intentioned advice about how to do marketing. And I think the thing that marketing teams need to do is to just kind of take that on board and say and do a healthy no. <laughs> We're gonna do it our way. I think I think clarity is part of that of clarity of vision, clarity of how you're going to execute. Um, and I think that's a big, um, that's a big mistake that you know, even I have been guilty of just trying to do too much, um, spreading yourself too thin. It's like, do you really need to be on four or five different social media channels, you know, um, when you can do one really, really well, and then add on another one if you really need to, once you've kind of nailed the formula for that. I think secondly, another, Another mistake is not working in a modular way. So I wrote about this a few days ago on LinkedIn, but so the point I made in my LinkedIn post was people can, um, so when you have modular furniture, right? The function of the furniture is still there, no matter how you change it around. Let's say you have, uh, you've moved from a bigger place to a slightly smaller place and you have a modular sofa and it's really awkward, but it's great because you can move it around. So it, it still works as a sofa. I feel like people need to apply this concept to the way they work. And so some examples are when, um, I can see when people are writing from scratch every single time or creating from scratch every single time. And actually what you really need is a design system or a system of some kind, a modular system. 
So say, for example, in email templates, um, I have what I call my everything bagel template, which is I have modules for like every possible um, use I might have. And then I just copy and paste that template, right? And I just take out whatever, or duplicate whatever. And that's already much easier. But something I've seen like, you know, maybe junior marketers do is that they try and create from scratch every single time. And it's exhausting. And it, you don't have consistency that way as well because you're going to want to do it slightly differently each time. Whereas in a modular system, you can just shuffle things around and create to, to template. So working in a modular way. Another mistake, I think we've touched on this a little bit earlier, is making assumptions, right, about your customer, your audience. So I kind of fell a little bit into that trap last year, and we had a few flops. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, so I read up on some books. I read some books about positioning. I read some books about, um, you know, in tech, like in the really famous ones like Crossing the Chasm, all of that stuff. And I really tried to like dig into like what what were the worries, what were the pains that our product were trying to address. And by doing that work, like trying to really get into the head of our audience, we were able to kind of create marketing and messaging that just landed so much more authentically because we were actually speaking our audience's language. And I feel like that's something where I see a lot of brands kind of falling flat. Like they have no idea what their audience is interested in or what they're worried about. And I'm not saying this like just for me to be, I've even seen it for like, so I'm a big gamer. I've even seen it sometimes on like, you know, like I'll see some media or I'll watch something and I'll be like, oh, you clearly have no idea about the lingo that the community uses or, you know, or like the memes people use, yeah. Yeah, there's such a disconnect between what the company provides and the way people are talking about it and what they think yeah. they're doing and what people are actually using it for. Um, and then there are great examples of this. I mean, I'm, the one that comes to mind right away is uh, the milk uh, in America, at least. They're, for years, they're doing this campaign, drink milk, you know, does body good, all this kind of yeah. stuff. Now one was drinking more milk, but then they did this research apparently and uh, found the biggest thing with milk is that people are afraid of not having it. <laughs> oh, the biggest pain point is not having it. So mm. then they started this whole campaign, Got Milk, uh, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it became huge, viral. Yeah. And it was all about that pain point. You know, that what are you to do if you don't have milk? You know, so then <laughs> yeah. people were buying more milk, apparently. Um, <laughs> and they got, you know, like they never dreamed it would go that far, but they really did a, they hit a home run. And it's yeah. perfectly on that point is that yeah. it was all about the customer. Yeah. How did they think about that product? Like, I'm not going to buy more milk because I think you're, you know, you're trying to convince me that it's so good for me. Yeah, but, but I didn't have it to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, I love, I love stuff like that. Um, I think I, I went to a conference a while back, I think possibly it was Itchable. I forget his name, but if you're watching this and I'm talking about you, I'm so sorry. But he was talking about a uh, a welcome campaign or onboarding campaign um, they built for HelloFresh. And it was well-intentioned and it was something about what recipes do you want to see more of? You know, it was like, a, you know, so you can kind of like click which recipes you want. But it was a flop. The, that onboarding process was a flop because people were saying they wanted to see healthy recipes 
for the actual recipes they wanted to see were the sinful kind of, you know, like, you know, oh, the super like luxurious, like chocolatey stuff and the cheesy stuff, you know. But like, you know, on what, you know, people are like, I want to see the healthy recipes. And that's about like understanding what people say versus what they actually want. You know, I love I love things like that because people are complicated. And, you know, the, yeah, I think like throwing those assumptions out the window is, is really important, like trying to get in the head. I think if you can do this by like, oh, and actually it segues beautifully into another lesson I would say, which is um, get out of marketing. <laughs> you know, not every, not all of the answers are in marketing. Being a good marketer is about, yeah, being able to be in the position of your audience and trying to understand what pains you're trying to address, you know, how you can surprise and delight them. The only way you can do that is by like living your whole life outside of marketing. Um, and yeah, so I, and that also means getting out of like the marketing team. So like make a concerted effort to talk to different teammates, you know, so you right. can talk to customer success because they're going to be talking with your customer they like every day they're going to have a much better um, understanding of your customers than you are and you know so yeah i think things like that is really important for for marketing to do yeah now it's a great point you know just get out of marketing talk to customer service find out what the most common issues are yeah and talk about them you know and address them yeah Yeah. that's huge what do you struggle with the most in your current role? So I think like on a personal level, and I don't know if you feel this as well, but with things moving so fast, I have like this individual anxiety about life. I don't know everything. <laughs> I'm so scared I'm going to get left behind. I don't know anything. But, you know, that's like, you know, that's, that, that's kind of like, I feel like a tension that every marketer kind of has to do in this, like this role, this function um, in the industry. But, for me on like a sort of a work level I think it's about just being able to do all the cool ideas that I want to do <laughs> and having not enough time to do them so having to really like focus right that that was like I said that was one of my keywords for for 2023 clarity and focus because it's really about like what's going to drive the most impact because you can have all the cool ideas you want all day long but if none of them drive impact you might as well not have done anything you might as well not have turned up for work and so I think I think for me, the thing I struggle with is like trying to really understand like what is going to drive the most impact for filter for but the audience for our customers today. Right, 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 for sure. Yeah, that, that feels mutual. Yeah, it's good thing you will never die. Um, yeah, because we're not young anymore. All right, okay, moving on. All right. Um, so what brands do you love and you feel like they're just doing such a great job? Uh, so I love, uh, so I, I feel like this company is always brought up when it comes to like their copywriting and their social media, but Innocent, um, the juice brands, they totally kill it when it comes to their copy and it, and it's, uh, it, it bleeds into everything they do. So you might pick up one of the juices and you might see like some funny little copy. It just makes, makes me giggle. Like, you know, it's, it's so, it's so on point because I feel like that's the mistake that a lot of brands make is that your branding should go into every single detail of your products, you know, every, everywhere you are. And, um, innocent really understand this. So 
whether it's their social media, whether it's like the actual, you know, copy and their packaging, they really nail it. Um, so I, yeah, I love Innocent for that reason. I think, um, so like I said, I'm a gamer and I feel like some gaming brands are like really nailing it with the experience. So, so I play Fallout 76 and I, <laughs> I love because like I've, I've been doing a lot of copywriting. So, you know, it's like that kind of frequency bias, right? Like you start like honing in on like copywriting like everywhere. You just can't escape it. And I've been noticing like, you know, all of like the, the copy and stuff that they've been including in their like online platform and stuff. Like I love that. I think, you know, people in other industries should watch the video game industry for lessons in marketing because they understand engagement it's part of what they do you know they have an economy of attention that other brands don't really other industry sectors haven't really thought that much about um but i think most recently something i saw which i thought was really cool was uh, netflix promoting the wednesday series and they were, you know, doing the uh, out of home experience stuff. That was really cool as well. I felt like that was they really nailed it with that. Um, so yeah, I think I feel like um, yeah, in terms of like consistently nailing it, um, that company Liquid Death has been um, you know, doing some really cool stuff. And I love that kind of thing of like that juxtaposition of something like water, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> right, yeah, in yeah, a completely yeah. different way. They are awesome. Like, yeah, really geniuses. Like to yeah. take a product. I mean, do you ever like hear about his whole brand story? Like what, how he came up with this whole idea? Like, yes, yes, a little bit. But I, I'm fascinated, and I love that. That yeah, again, like I love that juxtaposition of of unexpected things, right? Um, right. I just wonder, <laughs> like, how we could apply it to other industries. Like, yes, what else? Yes, <laughs> yeah absolutely like you know okay so like for example like um sanitary products like pads and tampons like it's always promoted with like flowers and you know women looking slightly disgruntled or do something right mm-hmm. you know but i would just love if someone would just like make a you know like a really like kick-ass brand because <laughs> it is hardcore because they're all so similar like there's yeah. no one, there's no differentiating it's just like branding but like you know yeah. i mean i don't want to start naming names but you know like they're all kind of no there's but, no differentiator so if you want to start your own brand you oh know. yeah <laughs> yeah, we can do like the kind of like hardcore metal kind of version of like sanitary products. Yeah, I'd love that. There you go. All right, it started here, guys. All right. Yeah, and it's like AI. I mean, like we're already like using AI. Yeah. It's it's here. It's and it feels like the dawn of the internet or you know something like something is coming I know. and it's here the monolith sort of. is there and we're all like going like right like, yeah exactly <laughs> losing our minds yeah. <laughs> so how so, is going to impact the marketing world yeah so the company i work for filtered the our tagline is um take control of content chaos um the reason why that is is because in lnd lnd has this problem where um, lots of, you know, enterprise level organizations, and even even below that, they tend to have a tendency of buying a lot of learning content for their organization, for the people to be able to learn, which is very well intentioned, really good stuff. But the problem is, is that when you have hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of learning assets, it 
is chaotic. Nobody can find what they're looking for. Like, let's say, you know, you're looking for learning assets about leadership. It's really, it's actually really normal to come up with like 4,000 different learning titles. And how can you pick with any? You just kind of be like, oh, I don't know. I'll just pick like the first two, whatever. You know, it's like Google problem, right? And so, so that's what we call content chaos because what happens in enterprise level organizations is that they can't, like learners can't find what they're looking for. They start losing interest. They're like, I'll just find it on Google or YouTube, you know? And the problem is it's like, it's a lot of wastage. There's a lot of resources, you know, there's a lot of learning assets just sort of sitting like undiscovered. And so that's what content chaos means. I think AI is going to contribute or is already contributing to content chaos in a general sense of content, like marketing content out there. Because now people have figured out that you can just like, put a prompt in and like content will come out the other side. Um, now I know a lot of people are using this responsibly, I hope, but, <laughs> but I feel that a lot of people who aren't being trained um, or maybe didn't already have the experience in, in creating content, you know, from scratch are probably going to use it without too much of a scrutinizing eye. I think what's going to happen is that quality may potentially be lower for a lot of content that we're going to see, like especially with people getting excited about like using ChatGPT in a pre-priced year um, and all of these other solutions. But I also think that people are going to get savvier with the content that they're getting as well because I feel like we're going to start developing a sense of, I think this was written by AI or this seems like it was written by a person, like a real person. It's actually one of the reasons why I... Um, push for this new format, newsletter format for my company, where I write um, the weekly newsletter from me, because it's got all of my little quirks of how I write. It's not grammatically perfect, you know. No, but it it's your personality. Like, it's coming across. Yeah, yeah. You know, and my my standard for copywriting, content writing, is like, if an AI could, like, if it looks like an AI could write it, why bother? You know, right. I think that yeah. I think maybe you're you're touching on like a point, which I think is, mm. you know, more and more we'll try to sound more human. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and the AI yeah. just can't compete with that. Yeah. We're, we're quirky and weird. <laughs> we're quirky, <laughs> weird, exactly. And you know, like what I think about is when cameras, you know, came into the picture, and a lot of painters were obviously they were worried, you know. But I think what then happened was that you had this whole advent of like artistic movements that were different, that were, you know, purposely impressionistic, that were purposely not trying to be realistic. And I think we can kind of see this thing happening with AI. You know, if AI can mimic, you know, whatever mediocre writing there was, then I think people are going to try and do interesting, outrageous, you know, like thought provoking stuff. Right, like more adventurous. And, yeah. And that'd be a good thing, you know, because yeah. we're used to brand AI content, I think. Like, you know, like the content a lot of brands write is not very human sounding. Yeah, anyway. I mean, snooze, you know, like, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been guilty of that before, so I'm not saying that as like, you know, standing on my pedestal and being like, you all should do this. No, I've been, <laughs> I've, I've been in that rut before. And I've seen that, like, actually, when you, like, pop human to human, um, really good things happen. And so that's why I've also been recently been trying to push to speak to more people in the L&D industry because I appreciate that 
I haven't, I don't have that domain knowledge, and I want to speak to real people about the real experience. When you say, I'm sorry, just for the audience, like, yeah, LD is, is learning and development, yeah, learning and development, that's right. So, those are the, yeah, the um, I target customer um, learning and development professionals in um, enterprise organizations. So, yeah, so it's you know, like, I wouldn't presume to know anything about what they do, just in the same way that, like. You know, it, it gets a bit annoying when people give you like marketing advice and they're non-marketers, you know, so I have to put myself in their position. And that's why I want to speak to real L&D people, ask them like, what's going on? Like, what did they experience day to day? AI can't do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, and that's, yeah, I mean, you want to know what they're, yeah, you have that real relationship. It's all about mm-hmm. creating that real relationship. Yeah. And AI, an AI bot hopefully can't do that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, right, know, you think you got this great person, yeah, turns out you're not even a person at all. But <laughs> I think it is interesting though is that I think it will enable people who have been a bit um there are barriers to creating stuff that, you know, we kind of take for granted. People are like people don't care about what I have to say or like I don't have a writing ability or blah blah blah. I, I hope that AI enables people to create really great stuff who, you know, may have found um, those barriers before. Um, it's like all of my favorite YouTube creators now. They, like, before YouTube, what would they have been? I would never have been able to know about them, never been able to see them ever. Right, 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 for sure. Yeah. All right, we're, we're ready to wrap up. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> just final thoughts. Um, and you can go as long as you want. Uh, Yana Tari <laughs> went for an hour, um, so that's the bar. <laughs> Any final? Well, I'd love to, you know, get your opinion on on uh, the stuff I'm probably going to ramble about. But you know, on the AI stuff, well, I so I'd love to share how I'm using AI as part of my workflow, and hopefully, this is useful for anybody watching. Sure. But um, for me, I think um, <laughs> the the thing a lot of people struggle with in uh, when they, you know dipping their toes into email. And even some of us who are more experienced is uh, re- writing subject lines and hooks. And how I'm using AI as part of my workflow is I'll try and write like one or two or, you know, yeah, like I try and write a few different subject lines and then I'll feed them to um, an AI, AI. So I'm using Notion and Notion has its own like inbuilt AI. And I'll say generate similar subject lines and like with different, you know, like create a more friendly subject line or create a more professional subject line, you know, try it different ways. The reason why is because like, I'm trying to get myself out of my own head, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes like the AI might come up with something surprising that you can tweak. And so that's one way of using it. So yeah, I'd love to know how you're using it as part of your workflow. Sure. So I'm using similarly, like meaning I'll think of a subject line, but I can't think of a pretty header that goes with it. So that's mm. one example. You know, I'll give you two, three examples of that. And then, you know, that gets your head moving. You know, like, oh, yeah. I think of it like that. That's kind of a cool hook. Yeah, and I've used it actually for product pages and, you know, a lot of stuff. I mean, like, God bless uh, Chase Diamond. Um, <laughs> yeah. He gave me all these, like, prompts, you know? Yeah. Like, it's become the new industry is now the prompts. Yeah, the prompts. Like, I was yeah. thinking, actually, of asking, you know, ChatGPT, what are some good prompts I can use with ChatGPT? Mm-hmm. You know, like it'll give you some prompts. It's probably how these people are coming up with their stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, that's But so the true. prompts yeah. are, I mean, the first time, you know, I use the prompt and and it goes for a product page or a category and like I filled it out and like it spit out like 
really decent content, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a product yeah. page. It doesn't have to be like gold, you know, yeah. like it passes. Yeah, it's a good um, launch pad, isn't it? Because I feel like that's the struggle with like having the blank page in front of you. You just, your mind goes blank. And so right. it's, it's more useful to have like something that you can say, oh no, no, that's no good. You know, because your mind then starts working. It has something to work on. Right. Like I used it actually last week for, I write a newsletter every week uh, for one of my brands. And um, usually I spend like another 20 minutes in Grammarly Mm-hmm. editing it down and this yeah. week i just took the whole thing as is and i gave it to chat gpt i'm like can you edit this yeah and they did but i'm not sure i loved it you know yeah yeah it did a yeah. good job but like it took out a little bit of my brand voice i mean my yeah you know, yeah like it was very grammatically good um which is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah it's just too perfect it's too perfect <laughs> it was just too perfect right yeah. it's also like even like the slant of it like yeah just not the slant I was going for. So then I had to like edit it and then it it just sounded much more newsy where like I'm really just like taking the news and writing about it and then it just became like the news again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is not what you want. Like exactly. I think, you know, that's that's such a great thing that I've been thinking about as well. We are absolutely like a flood with with content and like what's valuable to to people. I think added analysis your own unique viewpoint. So I have a lot of um, my teammates that I'm trying to, you know, like get them to be more visible at LinkedIn, like bring up the profile, uplift them, you know, like give them more confidence in in being visible just in general. And they're always like, I don't know what I have to add. But for me, it's like what you have to add is you. You're the the unique thing. You're the unique factor. I want to see things from your eyes. You know, and that's something that AI can't do. AI can't literally be you. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you got to yeah. talk yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and people could tell. I mean, like, yeah. my wife could tell, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine? She's like, no, this is exactly your look. <laughs> yeah, you lose your voice, you know? Like, you're you. The only you yeah. can create your content, you know? Yeah. So if you start you know, outsourcing it to a robot, like you'll sound like yeah. a robot, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's a danger. Um, <laughs> it is a danger. I think the but, other thought I'd love to share is that, um, um, and I'm speaking like to like marketers, like listening to this, like you guys have no idea like how skilled you are. Just like sharing that skill, just like sharing that expertise. Cause one thing I realized working at the nonprofit I was working at, so I, I just kind of took for granted that all of the experience and knowledge I've accumulated. And I wasn't even that like senior, you know, it's just the digital marketing executive. And once I started sharing that internally, it was like people looked at me like I was a wizard. And I was just like, no, this is like really obvious like marketing stuff. You know, like anyone can, anyone can do this. And so, yeah, that's one thing I want to say to people like, my is like, that, that's kind of the point that I was seeing, like, you know, get out of marketing, not just for you, but for other people in your organization as well, because like you take for granted what you know. It's like the crisis of knowledge. And honestly, I think everyone, you know, outside marketing could do with a little bit of marketing knowledge because it really is just about persuasive communication. That's what we're doing today at the end of the day, right? It's like retro. Um, and everyone could do with a little bit of that, you know, especially for like people like in learning and development. One of the things that is talked about a lot now is a lack of visibility that, um, L&D professionals have within, within the organizations. 
my marketing friends, reach out to your L&D friends, you know, help them, help them be more visible, help other people be more visible in your organization. And so, yeah, I did, you know, so if you're like kind of umming and eyeing about like, oh, should I share like what I know? Do it. Just do it. <laughs> All right. That was awesome. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, obviously. This was great. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. All right, have you been playing any uh, ukulele at any conferences this coming year? Yeah, I'm working on a cover now. It's just taking a lot longer because I'm like still like umming and eyeing about like what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what things to use for it. But I recently like bought a recorder and I'm trying to make it not sound good, if that makes sense. I think it's funnier when instruments sound bad. <laughs> Well, I, thought, I thought it was so interesting about like your cover, you know, like your covers in general, like they don't, you know, you, it's your own interpretation. Sort of yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm a professional musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was like, the, you know, that was like refreshing and like sort of hilarious to people. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow, she's playing poker face on ukulele. <laughs> so like new and weird. Yeah. <laughs> So, awesome. All right, looking forward. Hopefully we'll meet somewhere in person. But yes, if not, this, yeah. this way is great too. <laughs> um, so thanks for joining me. Um, I'll let you out and say goodbye to the audience. Um, so I'll see you in a minute. All right, that's our show for today. Uh, Inboxing is still looking for a sponsor uh, for season three. Um, so email marketing companies is a great way to get in front of email marketers primarily um, and marketers you know, in general. So reach out. Also, you can go to hilloberg.com slash sponsor um, and you can learn all about that opportunity. Anyway, have a great day, guys. That's all for today's episode of Inboxing. Um, big thank you to our guest. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you've got suggestions, please just reach out to me at hello at hilloberg.com. Um, before we go, I want to remind you there's still sponsorship opportunities available for Inboxing. Uh, so if you're interested, you could just reach out to me again. And thank you to our current sponsor, which is Bentley Card Expert. Uh, without their support, this wouldn't be happening. So if you're an e-commerce brand looking forward to recover more lost sales, uh, be sure to check them out at BentleyCardExpert.com. Thank you for listening and tune in next week, every Monday, for the next episode of Inboxing.